Hey there, and welcome to Shadow Facts. That's facts as in horse treat-sized pieces of information, a podcast about Lord of the Rings. But only the horse parts. I'm Joey. And I'm Caitlin. And And this this is is our our oath. We vow to discuss every horse mentioned or visible in both the Lord of the Rings books and film adaptations, and we do mean every. We vow to rank every horse mentioned above. We vow to rewrite one of Tolkien's songs per episode to be about horses, live on the pod. And last but not least, we vow to answer the call of Gondor when the beacon is lit. By which we mean, answer your questions about Lord of the Rings horses to the best of our ability. chapters yes yeah we have shit bro we got a much like frodo and sam we have a lot of ground to cover today yeah i could have written bro just in all of my margins so many times we have a lot of miles to cover we have a lot of hands to kiss and hold yeah I don't, I'm not very eloquent because I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. So this is, the chapters that we're talking about are, of course, our return to Frodo and Sam, which is exciting. It's been a minute. It's the first three chapters of book six, The Tower of Kirith Ungol through Mount Doom. And before we talk about those chapters, we're going to remember to introduce ourselves. Yes, we are. I'm Frodo. You can find me. Me on Twitter, uh, at miserable in Mordor, <laughs> and I'm and joining me, my ever faithful companion, and gardener. It's me, Mister S Gamgee. You can wow. find me in the Sad Boys Club. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, no, but actually, I'm Joey. My Twitter handle is at Joey the Prince, and my pronouns are they, he. And I'm Caitlin. My pronouns are they, them. You can find me on Twitter, but maybe shouldn't. We have... Uh, there's there's so much happening. And it's wild, too, because it, there's extreme emotional highs and lows, and the ring gets destroyed, and I still have... I'm, like, maybe a little over halfway through my binding of the book. Yeah. 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 I can't tell because mine is just all in one book and also there are appendices. Don't yes, forget there the are... appendices. Yes, there are. Because that makes a difference. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just, oh, it feels like we're so close to the end. Um, but we're not. 
I'm like, not, I'm not ready. I'm not, I know also looking at our production schedule that we still have like months of Shadowfax production to go, but yeah, it's like, this is not the end. it's weird because it feels like we're so close to the end and also not at the same time. Yeah. 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 And I am absolutely gobsmacked to report. We do have horses to talk about today. <laughs> we do have horse mentions. Do, wait, do we? Yeah, we sure fucking do. Don't worry, I got them. Okay. I think there's two. That is not what my mind was trained on. Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, But thank you for this small little teaspoon of, of horse flavor, which is the slim pretext that we're going to spend the next, like, three hours talking about and it's justified in the horse podcast yeah remember how this podcast is about horses um and also the gay parts it's fine yeah um Um, yeah should we do you just want to get right into it or do you have really our tagline of like but only the horse parts should be like especially the horse parts especially kind of introductory text that could change like the and but we do mean every horse we talk about when they're on the screen we say look there are horses here <laughs> i just we wrote the, that now oh words we did not feeble know. flimsy words in the face of this we the, yeah the, this hordes of cgi horses in return of the king um, okay, so plot-wise, we left Frodo and Sam, uh, where Frodo has, you know, been Shelob stung, he's uh, dead appearing, uh, and he's been carried dead passing. into the, <laughs> yeah, the Tower of Kirith Uncle by some orcs, and Sam followed them and then threw himself against oh, the door God. in despair. And then, like, it switched to, you know, talk about all the other Fellowship members for a while. Now we're back, and Sam threw himself against the door so hard that he, like, knocked himself out. <laughs> and he's just yeah. come to. Yeah. Can we read this um, beginning paragraph? Yes. Sam roused Sam... to... Oh, God. Go ahead. I, I did say we read. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Sam roused himself painfully from the ground. For a moment, he wondered where he was, and then all the misery and despair returned to him. He was in the deep dark outside the undergate of the orc's stronghold. Its brazen doors were shut. He must have fallen stunned when he hurled himself against them, but how long he had lain there he did not know. Then he had been on fire, desperate and furious. Now he was shivering and cold. Oh, Sam. Oh, Sam. Also, the next line says he crept to the doors and pressed his ears against them. And I just, it, the plural sides. ears there was very strange to me. Listen, Tolkien has not described hobbit ears explicitly yet. We don't know what's going on there. It's true. Yeah. Uh, So he determines that he's not going to be able to get in there. Um, there's this line that says he no longer had any doubt about his duty. He must rescue his boyfriend or perish in the attempt. 
Yeah. And then in the, like, continuing theme of Tolkien characters, like, contemplating and accepting death in the face of their their quest he says the perishing is more likely and will be a lot easier anyway he said grimly to himself mm-hmm. yeah and then and this is oh, i love this we talk about tolkien the times which he intentionally kind of pulls the the yes. reader back to show what is happening in the times that he doesn't and he does in a big way here i just want to read this whole thing if that's okay mm-hmm. we'll try to yeah. avoid too much straight text reading today because we have a lot to go but mm-hmm. i wonder if they think of us at all he said and what is happening to them all away there he waved his hand vaguely in the air before him uh blah blah, blah. it's just talking about where he is in the world And then out westward in the world, it was drawn to noon upon the 14th day of March in the Shire Reckoning. And even now, Aragorn was leading the Black Fleet from Pelargir, and Mary was riding with Rohirrim down the Stonewain Valley, while in Minas Tirith flames were rising, and Pippin watched the madness growing in the eyes of Denethor. Yet, amid all their cares and fear, the thoughts of their friends turned constantly to Frodo and Sam. They were not forgotten but they were far beyond aid, and no thought could yet bring any help to Samwise. He was utterly alone. Fuck! It's really good. Um, so he leaves the tunnel and decides that he's gonna have to find the main entrance to the tower. Um, throughout, like, just all three of these chapters, like, Tolkien is he's doing all of his like evocative shit i mean he is so good at painting like despair and like a hostile environment and all of this stuff and i can't like point out every instance of it but like it's good shit and haunting shit yeah we've talked about this a little bit before but i really love that in tolkien's writings like Traversing the world is a huge theme, obviously, but Mm -hmm. just as important as that is traversing their kind of inner landscapes, like dealing with their, their thoughts and their fears and their own emotions is as present and as real and as challenging as clambering over the, the, you know, over the, the rocky spree. Like, I love that those carry equal weight. Yeah. Yeah, that Sam goes through, like, feeling hopeless and, you know, and, I mean, we just were there with him and and we get all of this internal emotional journey. Yeah. Um, he hears, like, voices from the tower and realizes that at least a few of the orcs are fighting each other, which gives him hope. And it says, faint as was the hope that his guest brought him, it was enough to rouse him. There might be just a chance. His love for Frodo rose above all other thoughts, and forgetting his peril, he cried aloud, I'm coming, Mr. Frodo! Yeah, it's good. And he, well, and he, as he's trying to decide, like, what to do and and how to stay hidden, he puts on the ring. Yes. Um, which is important. And I, I love this. Bef- before that, he, he kind of sits down with the ring on and is trying to figure out what to do. He realizes, like you said, that he is going to have to go and try and find 
the main door of this tower, which means venturing further on his own. It says there he halted and sat down. For the moment, he could drive himself no further. He felt that if once he went beyond the crown of the pass and took one step veritably down into the land of Mordor, that step would be irrevocable. He could never come back. And then he, he puts the ring on and he feels the the burden of it. Yeah. And that's but also, with his hearing sharpened, that's when he hears yes. the voices. Yeah. Interestingly enough, he does um as soon as he like takes those steps into Mordor, which is right after he says I'm coming, Mr. Frodo, he takes off the ring. Um, moved, it may be, by some deep premonition of danger, though to himself he thought only that he wished to see more clearly. Better have a look at the worst, he muttered, no good blundering about in a fog. But it's, you know, it's clear that, like, the ring in Mordor, and really the closer they get to Aradruin, um, has more power, and Sam knows that even if he doesn't, you know, know it. Yeah, and there's also... There's an interesting thing going on with Sam, too, when Sam, like, there is something, some central part of Sam that is, like, resistant to the ring in a way that other people or are not. Like, like, Sam here, you know, like you said, moved by some deep premonition of danger, and then later, he is tempted in a more direct way by the ring and rebuffs it in an interesting way Mm -hmm. like in a way that we haven't seen that we haven't seen other characters respond to the ring yeah we see frodo rebuff it but not actually we don't see frodo's actual internal process much we see it like through the eyes of sam or you know whatever else and so well and and sam's yeah Frodo's Frodo's very much comes from this kind of like logical place almost like he knows his quest is to destroy the ring and like Elrond and Gandalf like the wisest people in the world have like told him thus and explained the dangers right. of it to him and, and so like it's very, it's very him. like him sticking to his conviction in a painful mm-hmm. way there but Sam's is more of like an instinctual like like he he without even being aware of it, he recognizes the danger, which is an inter- is an interesting yeah. distinction. Yeah, we'll we'll read that part when we get there. Yes. Um, let's see. The tower is spooky and big. Um, yeah, I did. I did want to talk about. I think the next thing I have to talk about is Sam realizing the like origins of the tower. Oh yeah, talk about that. Uh, so Sam looking at the tower suddenly realizes because he's he's seeing that it's like fitted together cleverly and it's like a impressive design and realizes that um it's it's gondoran work like it is like um kirith kirith uncle no this is kirith uncle right what's the uh, what's the city ethelian no 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 um no, this is this isn't the tower of Kirithungle. This is the I mean there there's this there's this the city which used to be a Gondoran city. It used to be like the Tower of the Moon. It has been taken over by the Shadow and Twisted, you know. Minas Morgul? Thank you. 
Yeah, but I mean, this tower that they're talking about right now is the Tower of Kirathungul. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. What I... What... Yes, I was trying to... Mm. <laughs> this is gonna be a rough one, huh? <laughs> like Minas Morgul, this is a Gondoran yes. stronghold which has been uh, claimed by Sauron and, like, used for his purposes. Which I thought was interesting. It says, It was indeed one of the works of Gondor long ago, an eastern outpost of the defenses of Athelion. Um, And now for long years it had been held by evil things. Since his return to Mordor, Sauron had found it useful. Um, And Sam says that its purpose was not to keep things out of Mordor, but to keep things in. And I like this. This is especially during this chapter, we'll see this come up with a few other things, but there's this, like, this emphasis on, like, tools, like, tools being used for multiple purposes. Like, this tower, which was made to defend Gondor, is now being used by Mordor. And we'll see this again when we uh, get to Frodo's stolen mithril. I just thought it was interesting he's very interested in how like physical objects have like lives of their own with Mm. stories that that change if that makes sense yeah Mm -hmm. um it's also interesting i don't know it just because we see the the emphasis on this like multiple times especially here it's just interesting in contrast to the ring which like no matter it's it's intended use, like, that is a tool that only mm-hmm. works in one direction. Yeah. If that makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking of the ring, where I didn't realize that section of Sam's t- temptation happened so soon. Um, yeah, but right that's here. the next thing I have, and I'm wondering if I can actually read, like, a, a good-sized chunk here. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because I, I know we cannot just, like, read all of these chapters, but, like, this feels Yeah, this is, I think this is one of the like, longer worth. sections, too. Most everything else is yeah. just a sentence or two, but yeah, please, yeah. go ahead. Okay. His thought turned to the ring, but there was no comfort there, only dread and danger. No sooner had he come in sight of Mount Doom, burning far away, than he was aware of a change in his burden— as it drew near the great furnaces where, in the deeps of time, it had been shaped and forged, the ring's power grew, and it became more fell, untamable, save by some mighty will. As Sam stood there, even though the ring was not on him, but hanging by its chain about his neck, he felt himself enlarged, as if he were robed in a huge distorted shadow of himself, a vast and ominous threat halted upon the walls of Mordor. He felt that he had from now on only two choices, to forbear the ring, though it would torment him, or to claim it and challenge the power that sat in its dark hold beyond the Valley of Shadows. Already the ring tempted him, gnawing at his will and reason. Wild fantasies arose in his mind, and he saw Samwise the Strong, hero of the age, striding with a flaming sword across the darkened land, and armies flocking to his call as he marched to the overthrow of Baradur. 
And then all the clouds rolled away and the white sun shone, and at his command the vale of Gorgoroth became a garden of flowers and trees and brought forth fruit. He had only to put on the ring and claim it for his own, and all this could be. In that hour of trial, it was the love of his boyfriend that helped most to hold him firm. But also deep down in him lived, still unconquered, his plain hobbit sense. He knew in the core of his heart that he was not large enough to bear such a burden, even if such visions were not a mere cheat to betray him. The one small garden of a free gardener was all his need and due, not a garden swollen to a realm, his own hands to use, not the hands of others to command. And anyway, all these notions are only a trick, he said to himself. He'd spot me and cow me before I could so much as shout out. He'd spot me pretty quick if I put the ring on now, in Mordor. Well, all I can say is, things look as hopeless as a frost in spring. Just when being invisible would be really useful, I can't use the ring. And if ever I get any further, it's going to be nothing but a drag and a burden every step. So what's to be done? <laughs> and I just, I just fucking love Sam. Sam's like ultimate no holds barred power fantasy is being able to like <laughs> make reclaim, a giant garden <laughs> yeah like reclaim reclaim a, a part of the world that is inhospitable and like make it flower like sam yeah ah! yeah yeah and so this is what i was referring to like it refers to his uh his unconquered plain hobbit sense yeah yeah I forgot how much of these... Ugh, it's so interesting because Frodo is, like, the protagonist. These books, so much of them are about Sam being on his own and having imperfect, incomplete information and trying to make these impossible decisions. Yeah, and just continuing to go, even though he feels like he can't. And, like, it's hopeless. Right, and it's not even, like, in some ways it feels like... You know, later when it's like, oh, like, we're walking up the slopes of Mount Doom and it's this horrible physical ordeal. Like, that in some ways is like, okay, but you know, you know where to go because it's right in front of you. And so all you have to do is actually do it. Like, uh -huh. the agony of trying to make these decisions. Maybe this is me projecting as a person who hates making decisions. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's so painful. It keeps happening to him over and over again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I think about, like, the experience of soldiers who, I mean, so many of them are so young, right? They're young, they're inexperienced, and suddenly they're given, like, responsibility that they're not prepared to handle and just, like, you know, stuck out there. And, and this, yeah, feels, I mean, very evocative of all kinds of, like, situations in which, you know, you're suddenly, like, without a person you looked to as a leader or wiser or whatever and have to make decisions. But I think of, you know, what Tolkien's experiences of that must have been, especially. Yeah. Um, so he is approaching the tower. He thinks there's no way he's going to be able to get in there, but he's trying anyway. 
and a couple orcs run out and are like shot down with arrows. And he realizes that they were probably fighting over Frodo's mithril um, shirt. Um, <laughs> Frodo's mithril crop top. <laughs> yeah. And Sam has a moment where he says, Come on, you miserable sluggard! Sam cried to himself. Now for it! He drew Sting and ran towards the open gate. But just as he was about to pass under its great arch, he felt a shock, as if he had run into some web like Shelob's, only invisible. And he sees that there are these two, like, they're called the two watchers, but these two, like, horrible statues. Um, But they're not just statues. It says some dreadful spirit of evil vigilance abode in them. Um, they knew an enemy, visible or invisible, none could pass unheeded. And he ends up using the file of Galadriel. Um, Man, to... Tolkien's greatest fear is being perceived, huh? <laughs> yeah, I had not really thought about that, but like... But like so much of the repeated language of of fear and discomfort is the language of surveillance, of being yeah. like seen and denied privacy in this really scary way. Yeah. Um, Buddy would not have liked 2021. Yeah. Uh, he gets in, um, but the, like, statues let out kind of like a weird shrill cry and, uh, and a bell rings. And he says, that's done it. <laughs> now I've rung the front doorbell. Well, come on, somebody. Tell Captain Shagrat that the great elf warrior has called with his elf sword, too. He's so good. He's so good. And he, I mean, go ahead. Is there anything, do you want to talk uh, about no, what's I, nope. happening next? Nope. He just, he walks into a fucking horrible charnel house. He was right. There's clearly been infighting among the, um, like, orcs and orcs who took Frodo because there are dead bodies everywhere. Yeah, like everywhere. Um, and he's going up the stairs and hears feet coming. Um, it says his will was too weak and slow to restrain his hand. It dragged at the chain and clutched the ring. But Sam did not put it on, for even as he clasped it to his breast, an orc came clattering down. Leaping out of a dark opening at the right, it ran towards him. It was no more than six paces from him when, lifting its head, it saw him, and Sam could hear its gasping breath and see the glare in its bloodshot eyes. It stopped short, aghast, for what it saw was not a small frightened hobbit trying to hold a steady sword. It saw a great silent shape, cloaked in a gray shadow, looming against the wavering light behind. In one hand it held a sword, the very light of which was a bitter pain, the other was clutched at its breast, but held concealed some nameless menace of power and doom. And then the orc turns Scooby around Scooby-Doo's and it out of there. Runs away. Um, and Sam says, Yes! The elf warrior is loose! I'm coming! Just you show me the way up or I'll skin you! It's... <laughs> when I was reading that, it's very cute and very Sam-like, but it feels like the exact cadence of that that children's poem about the tiger yes yes the tiger is loose <laughs> yeah yeah so he keeps working his way through this tower 
Yeah. Um, There's one. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, just this moment where he says, I do believe there's nobody left alive in the place. Can I? He's, you know, predicting that maybe they really have all killed each other, except for that, that orc that he refers to as a little frightened rat. Um, He says, I do believe there's nobody left alive in the place. And with that, he stopped, brought up hard, as if he had hit his head against the stone wall. The full meaning of what he had said struck him like a blow. Nobody left alive. Whose had been that horrible dying shriek, which he heard earlier? Frodo! Frodo! Beloved! It's master, but I'm replacing all master with either boyfriend or whatever else fits. Um, He cried, half sobbing. If they've killed you, what shall I do? Well, I'm coming at last right to the top to see what I must. Yeah. And he continues up. Yeah, yeah. He he very much has that, like, spike of fear and panic rhythm the whole time where, like, you cannot, you cannot be, you know, at the height of fear and panic and worry constantly. Like, your body and mind simply cannot sustain it. And so yeah. he has these you know, where he has to keep moving. And so he, he keeps having these kind of spikes of, of like, oh God, oh God, oh God. And then having to keep functioning and thinking and returning to some state of like relative calm because he, he, yeah. he, he can't, you cannot stay there. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. He eventually comes to a point where he can hear um Shagrat and Snaga. I did have a few notes about this encounter. Yeah. Go go ahead. Okay, so the first thing, this is um not of lasting interest, but um Tolkien describes Snaga as answering surlily surlily <laughs> as mm-hmm. in surly as an adjective which i just don't think i had ever as, seen it used ad- that way and verb. it's it's very funny yeah. to me yeah i feel like oh, yes, i verbally, would say not ad- adjectively in, thank you in a in a surly manner rather right. than surly. surly yes and then uh yeah the other thing i wanted to talk about was the orc drama yeah what about it? Um, again, we see here the emphasis on like the flow of information. Shagrat is saying like someone has to, like most of us have been killed here. Someone has to get the news through to Lugburs, or we'll both be for the Black Pits. Which yeah, and Shagrat himself is wounded, which is why he's saying that he can't go. Yeah, which is interesting, one, because it is interesting, like, you think of Sauron and Sauron's forces as being this kind of, like, omnipotent, or, like, there, there's a, a prescience to him where it's like, ah, the, like, I sees all and knows all, but then it's like, okay, right, but, like, people on his soldiers on the ground still need, like, some flow of information, which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah. And also that... Like, again, we see here that these people who don't get treated fictionally like people are indeed people with, like, motivations that contrast and, you know, don't want to do. They don't want to. The, the guy doesn't want to go. Snaga does not want to go downstairs because of the elf warrior. Yeah. Um. Eventually, he does, like, I guess Shagrat sort of starts 
chasing him or like moves to like attack him um and they both came like flying out the door sam is kind of like hiding behind a stair door and then snaga like disappears shagrat stops and is like yelling for him and then uh gorbag who is like lying on the ground or on the floor to all appearances dead crawls over there to try to attack shagrat but shagrat uh notices in time because gorbag makes a sound and just like repeatedly stabs him and things it's like it's a lot yeah yeah but sam is like it's awful because this is happening all with like sam caught in the middle and he's trying to decide if he can stay hidden or if he can you know make a run for it or if he has to jump out and fight and surprise someone uh and he decides to spring out and meet shagrat with a shout um yeah which is what like sam is so brave yeah in this chapter especially i mean all of them but like in a specific way in this chapter that is just like wild to me yeah yeah and so um he like leaps out and surprises shagrat and they kind of have this struggle but Shagrat is able to run away with this bundle that he's been holding onto the whole time. And Sam, again, caught, like kind of caught up in the moment, is chasing Shagrat down the stairs and realizes like, ah, I have to go, I have to go get Frodo. And um, the interesting thing here is, again, Tolkien does that kind of like revealing what Sam can't know. It mm-hmm. says, if Sam could have seen him and known the grief that his escape his being Shagrat, would bring, he might have quailed. But now his mind was set on the last stage of his search. Um, and it I doesn't mean, even when... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it doesn't reveal what that is, but we, as readers, can imply that that is the um, the blade and Frodo's mithril that the mouth of Sauron will show to Gandalf and Aragorn as proof of their capture. Mm. What were you starting to say? Um, even when Sam is making that decision, it says, like, he turned quickly and ran back up the stairs and says, wrong again, I expect, he sighed, but it's my job to go right up to the top first, whatever happens afterwards. And I just, you yeah. know, he's like, he's making these decisions and he's like, well, fuck if I know, like, probably I'm fucking things up repeatedly, but like, this is what I gotta do. Yeah, it's, it's so rough. It's so, it really is like I find I find these moments of of having to make these decisions like more anguishing than the like we're both really mm-hmm. dehydrated and have to do a hike, mm-hmm. um, which maybe says something about me. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so uh, go ahead. Oh, uh, so Sam, you know, kind of berates himself, but continues up the stairs and finds a dead end. Yes, and then he sits down. The torch that was already burning low when he arrived sputtered and went out, and he felt the darkness... Are you not going to read the line directly before that? Oh, sorry. I was was reading too many sentences simultaneously in my head. No, it's it's just... It bears mentioning. At last, 
Oh no. No, he no. Long- yeah. I okay, I see. I the see. The longing, the yes. longing, Joey. He longed only for his boyfriend, for one sight of his face or one touch of his hand. At last, weary and feeling finally defeated, he sat on a step below the level of the passage floor and bowed his head into his hands. It was quiet, horribly quiet. The torch that was already burning low when he arrived sputtered and went out, and he felt the darkness cover him like a tide. And then softly, to his own surprise, there at the vain end of his long journey and his grief, moved by what thought in his heart he could not tell, Sam began to sing. His voice sounded thin and quavering in the cold dark tower, the voice of a forlorn and weary hobbit that no listening orc could possibly mistake for the clear song of an elven lord. He murmured old childish tunes out of the Shire, and snatches of Mr. Bilbo's rhymes that came into his mind like fleeting glimpses of the country of his home. And then suddenly new strength rose in him, and his voice rang out while words of his own came unbidden to fit the simple tune. And... Then he sings two stanzas of a song that we will read and rewrite later. Yeah. Oh, Sam. And then he hears he hears a faint voice answering him, but then can't hear anything. And then Snaga shows back up, thinking that it was Frodo singing. And is like, hey, be quiet up there. And then goes up to check on Frodo. Um, That's when Sam realizes that Frodo is up through a trap door in the roof of the passage. Snaga comes carrying a ladder and Sam sees and realizes that's why it was a dead end. Yeah, and Snaga um, Snaga is talking to Frodo and threatening him and, cr- and cracks a whip to menace Frodo. And that is like what set Sam's off. It says, at that rage blazed in Sam's heart to a sudden fury. He sprang up and went up the ladder like a cat. And, uh, again, he kind of has advantage of surprise here. And he he slashes at the orc and, like, gets a blow in. And then they, like, run at each other. And Snaga misses and goes through the trap door. And then um, Sam and Frodo are reunited. Yeah. And Sam... So he finds Frodo lying, like, naked on a heap of filthy rags um, with a, uh, an ugly whip wheel, um, as in Mark from the whip, on his side. Frodo! Mr. Frodo, my dear! cried Sam, tears almost blinding him. That's text, by the way. I'm not replacing any words. My dear! My dear. It's Sam! I've come! He half-lifted his boyfriend and hugged him to his breast. Frodo opened his eyes. And it's... God, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. And Frodo, you know, Sam says, like, I I almost didn't find you. And Frodo's like, well, you have now, Sam, dear Sam. And he lay back in Sam's gentle arms, closing his eyes like a child at rest when night fears are driven away by some loved voice or hand. Sam felt that he could sit like that in endless happiness, but it was not allowed. It was not enough for him to find his boyfriend. He had still to try and save him. He kissed Frodo's forehead. Come, wake up, Mr. Frodo, he said. 
trying to sound as cheerful as he had when he drew back the curtains at Bag End on a summer's morning. Ah! Oh, God. Yeah. And so they kind of fill each other in a, a little bit about what each of them has experienced. Frodo's kind of saying. Yeah, although Sam doesn't share much about, like, what's happened since Frodo got stung, just like just the part about getting into the tower, not right. like what actually happened in the tunnels and stuff. Right. But like in telling Sam what's been going on, Frodo's kind of up and pacing around and seems to be doing a little bit better. Um, mm-hmm. And Frodo is telling Sam, he thinks they've taken everything, everything I had. Do you understand? Everything. He cowered on the floor with a bowed head as his own words brought home to him the fullness of the disaster and despair overwhelmed him. He thinks they have taken the ring. Yes. And he says, yeah. even if we get out of here, we can't escape. Only the elves can escape. Away, away out of Middle Earth. Far away over the sea. If even that is wide enough to keep the shadow out. Ah. Yeah. yeah. And then Sam says, no, not everything, Mr. Frodo. And it hasn't failed, not yet. I took it, Mr. Frodo, begging your pardon. And I've kept it safe. It's round my neck now, and a terrible burden it is, too. Sam fumbled for the ring and its chain. But I suppose you must take it back. And then, you know, we have one of these dialogues where Frodo gets, like, weird and possessive and says, oh, and when Sam offers to, like, help you know share the burden frodo says no you won't you thief he panted staring at sam with eyes wide with fear and enmity then suddenly clasping the ring in one clenched fist he stood aghast a mist seemed to clear from his eyes and he passed a hand over his aching brow the hideous vision had seemed so real to him half bemused as he was still with wound and fear Sam had changed before his very eyes into an orc, leering and pawing at his treasure, a foul little creature with greedy eyes and slobbering mouth. But now the vision had passed. There was Sam kneeling before him, his face wrung with pain, as if he had been stabbed in the heart. Tears welled from his eyes. And do you want to read this? these lines of Frodo's? Oh, Sam, cried Frodo, what have I done? What have I done? Forgive me. After all you have done, it is the horrible power of the ring. I wish it had never, never been found. But don't mind me, Sam. I must carry this burden to the end. It can't be altered. You can't come between me and this doom. Yeah. And And then... Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, that's all right, Mr. Frodo, said Sam, rubbing his sleeve across his eyes. I understand. But I can still help, can't I? That exchange, you can't come between me and this doom. I understand, but I can still help, can't I? Fucking, I am tearing the book apart. I am flipping the furniture. I am gnawing on my lacrocan with my bare fucking teeth. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and Sam goes on to say, I've got to get you out of here at once, see? And then, you know figures out clothes and gear and food and all of the stuff. And I, so a couple things, I mean, one, this is like fucking heartbreaking, but two, in both this instance and like the next time this happens within these chapters, 
Frodo has this very, like, clear insight and awareness right afterward. Mm-hmm. And, like, apologizes to Sam. And I feel, I mean, again, it's been a long time since I have watched, you know, the remainder of The Return of the King that we haven't, you know, that we still have to go. Um, So I might be misremembering, but I feel like we never get quite as much, like, depth of apology from Frodo after these moments. No, we don't. With Sam in the movie, it's more like he's suddenly, like, tired or upset and Sam ends up comforting him instead of Frodo actually being able to like parse what's happening and like explain that to Sam and apologize. Yeah. And I want, I wonder, yeah, I think that's an adaptation choice for clarity because we can't see inside these characters heads. Yeah. Like I could see the worry that, unless they show the, like, pervasive effect that this is having on Frodo, that, like, that those changes won't make sense. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it does, it know. is, it is an important, it, it feels important here that Frodo is still able to, like, pull back and, and realize that he's hurt someone. Yeah. Um, yeah. so Sam goes off to get some things. Food um, and cl- and clothing. Yeah, because Frodo is literally naked. Oh shit! Okay, sorry. There's one. Uh, we have to go back to one line. Oh, is it which about him? Um, what is it like? Flaming Scarlet. Yes. Uh, when Frodo first gets up, it says he stood up and it looked to Sam as if he was clothed in flame. His naked skin was scarlet in the light of the lamp above. And I just... Frodo's naked, fine. Like, it makes sense for them to have, like, stolen all of his clothes. But, like, there is no need for Tolkien to, like, paint this very evocative picture of how, like, the light is hitting Frodo's skin and, like, like how Sam is perceiving the light hitting Frodo's skin. Yeah. Except that it, I mean, creates like a sense of intimacy and a like, I think many people know the feeling of like looking at the person you love. And I don't, I mean, we look at the people we love in a way that we don't just like look at random other people, right? Like we notice like all these tiny details and just like paying attention to like, light on skin is I don't know yeah. is yeah. a thing and I just feel like there's this moment here that is like just you know added data that like <laughs> Tolkien was writing this as a very specific kind of relationship yeah I I think my I went in a not entirely unrelated but very opposite <laughs> Um, way here, which is, like, it reminded me of the way that, like, medieval saints describe religious ecstasy as, like, a sexual apocalyptic mm. experience mm-hmm. with, like, 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 they describe it in, in ways that, like, we would equate with, like, with sexual release and pleasure, but also using yeah. words like flame and flaming and, like, searing light. Yeah. 
I don't uh-huh. know. Like it just spoke to this like intensity of of experience and relationship. I don't know. That's that that was for I guess that's kind of a non sequitur, but that was like the touchstone that it evoked for me. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, I just wanted to point out that line. Sorry um, for saying sexual release on the podcast. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. This is worse than last week when you just when you were fucking talking about Denethor drenching Boiling himself, himself oh, up. Fuck. It's so every time you have mentioned it to me, it's so upsetting. Okay. Um yeah, so they split up and then we see it from we see this stretch of time from Frodo's point of view. Frodo kind of pacing upstairs and, and being worried for Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Sam comes back. And again, we get Sam. Uh, Sam has like some killer preservation instincts because he says, I can't explain it. But, well, it feels to me as if one of those foul flying riders was about up in the blackness where he can't be seen. Which we know from the other side of the book is a thing that's happening. The um, Nazgul are flying far enough up in the sky that only Legolas can see them. Yeah. Um, then we get a little fashion moment. Yeah. Um, Frodo has to put on some long hairy breeches of some unclean beast fell and a tunic of dirty leather and then a coat of stout ringmail. Um, a belt, a sh- a short sheath holding a broad-bladed stabbing sword, uh, and an orc helmet, uh, which is a black cap with iron rim and iron hoops covered with leather upon which the evil eye was painted in red above the beak-like nose guard. This is Frodo's leather daddy turn. <laughs> God. And a black cloak. And they, you know, they're talking about whether or not they should both be dressed in orc garb logistically. And then this, there's a little moment that I really like because it feels like a return to an easier time for Frodo and Sam. Uh-huh. Um, and Sam's like, okay, like, we, we better go. And Frodo says, I can't go all the way at a run, Sam. I hope you've made inquiries about inns along the road, or have you forgotten about food and drink? Save me, but so I had, said Sam. He whistled in dismay. Bless me, Mr. Frodo, but you've gone and made me that hungry and thirsty. I don't know when drop or morsel last passed my lips. I'd forgotten it trying to find you. But let me think. And then, you know, they talk through food. I just, but that like loving, I know, it's, teasing. Yes, and it's Sam's great. response. And then also, I understand Sam is saying, I've been so caught up that I haven't thought about the fact that I'm hungry or thirsty and talking about it has made me hungry and thirsty. But also to be reunited with your boyfriend and be like, damn, I'm thirsty. Yeah, I know. Like you've gone and made me that thirsty. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. boy. And, um, then, and then there's another sweet moment right at the end of this passage before the break. Yes. Where, so Frodo has found a little bit of food in the room um, but usually, you know, Sam is the one who is making sure Frodo is fed and taken care of. But, uh, Frodo this time says, not till you've had a mouthful, Sam, I won't budge. Here, take this elven cake and drink that last drop in your bottle. 
The whole thing is quite hopeless, so it's no good worrying about tomorrow. It probably won't come. <laughs> but, like, Frodo looks out for Sam in this moment and makes sure he's taken care of. It's and really it's good. Yeah. And then they go to flee the tower, they go down the stairs, and they encounter the watchers again, trying to get past them. And I I just love this little passage. So Frodo, you know, Sam is explaining to Frodo that there's some devilry on the gate and they just need to get past. Mm -hmm. Sam drew out the elven glass of Galadriel again, as if to do honor to his hardihood, into grace with splendor his faithful brown hobbit hand that had done such deeds. The file blazed forth suddenly, so that all the shadowy court was lit with a dazzling radiance like lightning, but it remained steady and did not pass. Which is both a beautiful description, but like, yes, yes, give Sam his due, do honor that, do honor to his hardihood and grace with splendor his faithful brown hobbit hand. Yes. It's just, it's just, I, I just, ugh, I just love when Sam is acknowledged for his bravery. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, Sam ends up crying Gilthoniel uh, Elbereth here, and Frodo follows that with Aia Elenion Ankalima, um, which, so Gilthoniel is, well, Ah Elbereth Gilthoniel is O Star Queen Star Kindler, so it's, you know, swapped around, but that's that. Um, and then Frodo's phrase there means, Behold, Star of Long Light or the star of long light, but... Yeah. And then the whole fucking thing crumbles behind them. The tower falls apart. Yeah. Um, which you love um, to see it. Yeah. it. I'm gonna actually read this because it's cool and plot relevant. Um, there was a crack. The keystone of the arch crashed almost on their heels and the wall above crumbled and fell in ruin. Only by a hair did they escape. A bell clanged, and from the watchers there went up a high and dreadful wail. Far up above in the darkness it was answered. Out of the black sky there came dropping like a bolt, a winged shape, rending the clouds with a ghastly shriek. Yeah. It's a Nazgul! <laughs> it's a Nazgul! It's a Nazgul! We did it! We made it to the end of... One chapter out of our three at an hour end. Fuck. Okay. Okay. Chapter two, The Land of Shadow. I think this chapter feels less plot important for our purposes, so I want to Yes, I have try fewer, to do less I have play by play notes in here, I think. Because really, like it is just about their struggles to get to where they need to go. And to find water and to stay hidden. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, the pacing of this is interesting compared to um, the movies because it feels like they, they spend so many days in Mordor just fucking wandering around, like not even headed in the direction that they are supposed to be headed in because they're trying to follow the road or stay out of sight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, we do have a few things to talk about. Um, 
uh, right off the bat, we get our two and only horse references. Yes, uh, I see them now. Yeah, so they're they're on a bridge and they hear from the other end horns, uh, and from beyond the bridge end came answering cries. Frodo and Sam could not see ahead, but already they heard the tramp of iron-shod feet, and upon the road there rang the swift clatter of hoofs. And they kind of scramble over the bridge, and they are jumping off of it into whatever is below the bridge. And Yeah, they, I loved this moment. It's so funny. It's too dark for them to tell how far down the bridge is but they they have no choice um so yeah they... sam says well here goes mr frodo goodbye <laughs> he let go <laughs> and, and frodo let go. uh and they even as they fell they heard the rush of horsemen sweeping over the bridge and the rattle of orc feet running up behind but sam would have laughed if he dared half fearing a breaking plunge down onto unseen rocks the hobbits landed in a drop of no more than a dozen feet, with a thud and a crunch into the last thing they would have expected. A tangle of thorny bushes. Yeah. And then when the sound of hoof and foot had passed, he ventured a whisper. That's it. That was, I, welcome to Shadow Facts. That was it. We'll see y'all next time. Yep. There, there it is. Yep. Uh, let's see. What little the bits do you want to zoom in on? I have is um frodo calling sam sam dear lad um and also like frodo needs to take off the orc mail because it's too heavy for him um mm-hmm. and he says what i really need is something warm it's gone cold or else i've caught a chill and then sam says you can have my cloak mr frodo he unslung his pack and took out the elven cloak how's this he said you wrap that orc rag close round you and put the belt outside it. Then this can go over all. It don't look quite orc fashion, but it'll keep you warmer, and I dare say it'll keep you from harm better than any other gear. It was made by the lady, as in Galadriel. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have right before that, um, uh-huh. Frodo is talking about how he's very tired and he kind of can't bear the extra weight of all the things. And Sam, in a wonderful bit of foreshadowing, says, Don't talk about it, Mr. Frodo. Bless you. I'd carry you on my back if I could. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, this Frodo feels better after, you know, he takes the orc mail off. Um, and he says, but this blind dark seems to be getting into my heart. As I lay in prison, Sam, I tried to remember the brandy wine and woody end and the water running through the mill at Hobbiton. But I can't see them now. Yeah. And Sam lovingly chastises Frodo for being the one to talk about water now when they're thirsty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you have next? Um, I have the, like, the wind changing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have a thing right after that, so go ahead. Okay, I mean, it might be the, the same thing, but basically, um, it's been just, like, dark, like, dark, like, night, uh, the whole time they've been in Mordor, um, but suddenly like light starts happening and it says there is battle far above in the high spaces of the air the billowing clouds of mordor were being driven back their edges tattering as a wind out of the living world came up and swept the fumes and smokes towards the dark land of their home 
Under the lifting skirts of the dreary canopy, dim light leaked into Mordor like pale morning through the grimed window of a prison. And Sam is like, wow, the wind's changed. Um, I wish I could see what's going on. <laughs> yeah, and then we get to see what's going on because it says it was the morning of the 15th of March and over the Vale of Anduin, the sun was rising above the eastern shadow and the southwest wind was blowing. Theoden lay dying on the Pelennor fields. Yeah, which is, I mean, I always want to talk about these little, like, zoom outs, but this one is interesting because it's so, it's, like, grim and, and brisk. Yeah. 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 I mean, very, you know, punchy, concise, but high impact. <laughs> um, like and a then, kidney punch. <laughs> and then also they see a shape. Uh, moving at a great speed out of the west, at first only a black speck against the glimmering strip above the mountaintops, but growing until it plunged like a bolt into the dark canopy and passed high above them. As it went, it sent out a long, shrill cry, the voice of a Nazgul, but this cry no longer held any terror for them. It was a cry of woe and dismay, ill tidings for the dark tower. The lord of the ringwraiths had met his doom." And so that's, you know, another of the ring Mm-hmm. Bringing yeah. back the news that um, the Witch King of Angmar has been killed. Yeah. And there's some hand-holding. There's a lot of hand-holding in, in this chapter. Yeah. Um, the next thing I have is they're, they're sitting down to eat and drink after this. And this is just very short, but I, I found it very charming. Sharing a wafer of Lembus and munching on it as best they could with their parched mouths, Frodo and Sam plotted on. Aww. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they keep walking. They find some water. They do find um, a little kind of inconceivable spring here in the middle of all of this. Mm-hmm. And they're very excited. And Sam is like, let me drink from it first, like, in case something's wrong with it. And I love Frodo's response. Frodo <laughs> says, I think we'll trust our luck together, Sam. Or blessing. Just Yeah. Well, first, Frodo says, all right, but there's room enough for two. Like, thinking that <laughs> Sam is just really eager. And yeah. Sam is like, no, I mean, if it's poisonous or something that will show its badness quick, well, better me than you, if you understand me. Um, and then Frodo says, yeah, the yeah, other thing. It's just, it's just sweet. Yeah. Um, the next thing I have is, uh, Frodo goes to sleep. Um, and Sam is going to keep watch. And it says, Frodo sighed and was asleep almost before the words were spoken. Sam struggled with his own weariness and he took Frodo's hand and there he sat silent till deep night fell. Then at last, to keep himself awake, he crawled from the hiding place and looked out. Um, And he sees, you know, he hears like noises and, you know, just like creaking and cracking and whatever. Um, And it says, there, peeping among the cloud rack above a dark tor high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. His song in the tower had been defiance rather than hope, for then he was thinking of himself. 
Now, for a moment, his own fate and even his boyfriend's ceased to trouble him. He crawled back into the brambles and laid himself by Frodo's side, and putting away all fear, he cast himself into a deep, untroubled sleep. They woke together, hand in hand. Ah! Yeah. 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 And then they fucking walk some more. They see. They get their first, like, really good look at Mount Doom, and it's awful. And they see um, a kind of a camp on the plain. They're still at the 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 mountains, and there's a big plain between them and Mount Doom. And they see at the feet of where they are a big camp with people and orcs and stuff bustling around. Yeah. I found this interesting. It says, um, as far as their eyes could reach along the skirts of the Morgai and away southward, there were camps, some of tents, some ordered like small towns. One of the largest of these was right below them. Barely a mile out into the plain, it clustered like some huge nest of insects with straight, dreary streets of huts and long, low, drab buildings. And I don't know, it was just... We just never, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, we we, we, don't, we never we, we don't never see, see them behind that curtain, right? Like it's always just like orcs and sometimes men in you know in battle and marching and stuff and imagining these like this like military camp of like buildings is just right. Well, and yeah. right after that, it says neither he nor Frodo knew anything of the great slave-worked fields away south in this wide realm beyond the fumes of the mountains by the dark, sad waters of Lake Nernin. Like, there's this whole industry and society and everything that implies, like, like someone, mm -hmm. someone grows food for these orcs to eat. Like, it's just, yeah, it's just this weird little glimpse into this thing that is not explored. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And also, we haven't talked about this recently, but like, there are various things throughout these chapters that remind us again and again that like, the various forces that Sauron sort of has at his beck and call are not all there willingly. You know, lots of lots of the people involved are either enslaved or like have been conquered in some way. And um, I mean, it specifically says like slave worked fields here. Mm -hmm. um, but like it, yeah, it's just, it's complex and it's not like it's just a bunch of people who are all like, they want the same thing as Sauron. And so they're all working together. <laughs> Yeah, there's a really interesting, so I think the next thing is they, they kind of, they decide to keep going north instead of cutting down to this plane straight towards Mount Doom because of this camp. And they, the next thing for me is that they, they come across another pair arguing. It's a soldier and a tracker, both are like orcs are, or orcs. And there's an, there's an exchange in here speaking to that same thing, which I think is really interesting. Did you have anything before that? No. Um, okay, so it's a tracker and a soldier, and they're kind of bickering, like, the soldier is, like, the tracker is clearly looking for something, and they're kind of going back and forth about, like, neither of them doing their jobs. Um, and then 
one of them describes the thing that they're looking for. What's that black sneak got to do with it all? That gobbler with the flapping hands, which is Gollum, which I love. I love that description of, of yeah. Gollum, that gobbler with the flapping hands. That gobbler hands. with the flapping hands, yeah. Okay, the other interesting thing then is that um, throughout this exchange and several other times, we see someone threatening to report someone to the higher-ups. I'll give your name and number to mm-hmm. the Nazgul, the soldier says to the tracker. And the tracker is freaked out by this and says, you cursed peaching sneak thief. You can't do your job and you can't even stick by your own folk. Go to your filthy shriekers and may they freeze the flesh off you if the enemy doesn't get them first. They've done in the number one, I've heard, and I hope it's true. Yeah, as in the Witch King. Yeah, which is... And then they start uh, attacking each other and... (laughs) Yeah, but it speaks to that thing that you were just talking about, which is like these creatures, which, you know, it's easy to think of like as not people are like in their own way being like extorted and exploited into... And yeah. Yeah. Controlled by fear. Yeah. Etc. Yeah. Uh, Sam mentions to Frodo, like, I told you Gollum wasn't dead yet, didn't I? Uh, And Frodo is like, yeah, and I wondered how you knew. Tell me if you can do it quietly. Um, And then one, Sam says, I'll try. But when I think of that stinker, I get so hot I could shout. Um, But then it says, there the hobbit sat under the cover of the thorny bush, while the drear light of Mordor faded slowly into a deep and starless night, and Sam spoke into Frodo's ear all that he could find words for of Gollum's treacherous attack, the horror of Shelob, and his own adventures with the orcs. When he had finished, Frodo said nothing but took Sam's hand and pressed it. And I just, it's its such a, like, intimate little moment, you know, yeah. of, like, Sam just, like, pouring out, like, all the shit that he's been through in, like, directly into Frodo's ear. Yeah. And then Frodo, like, takes his hand afterward. Yeah. It's really good. And then they, you'll never guess it, but they keep walking again. Wow. Yeah. Um, there's something else. I don't know. I marked this bit about the map. I do think it's interesting that I don't know. I mean, this is just a thing that's really incomprehensible to me because I don't do directions like this. Um, But Sam is asking Frodo how far they have to go. And Frodo says, not sure. In Rivendell, before I set out, I was shown a map of Mordor that was made before the enemy came back here. But I only remember it vaguely. I remember clearest that there was a place in the north where the western range and the northern range send out spurs that nearly meet. That must be 20 leagues at least from the bridge back by the tower. It might be a good point at which to cross, but of course, if we get there, we shall be further than we were from the mountain. Sixty miles from it, I should think. I guess that we have gone about twelve leagues north from the bridge now. Um, And just that he is able to, like, visualize any of this or estimate any of those distances or directions is incredible to me. I know, that's one of those weird things that, like, I think used to be a very common skill and is just not anymore. Because I also can't conceive of... I mean, also, both of us are bad at... bad. I mean, if you've been listening to this podcast, you've heard us get extremely lost in the sauce, in the maps, trying to figure out where and what is happening. So that is neither of our strong suits. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 
And so they, I, I don't want to say they keep walking again, but it's true. They they sure do keep what's, walking. What's your they next? They plod it no. along. They plod along. Um, my next thing is Sam saying, before you start any more plodding, you need sleep <laughs> and food, Mr. Frodo. Come and take what you can get of them. He gave Frodo water and an additional wafer of the waybread, and he made a pillow of his cloak for his boyfriend's head. Frodo was too weary to debate the matter, and Sam did not tell him that he had drunk the last drop of their water and eaten Sam's share of the food as well as his own. When Frodo was asleep, Sam bent over him and listened to his breathing and scanned his face. It was lined and thin, and yet in sleep it looked content and unafraid. Well, here goes, beloved, Sam muttered to himself. I'll have to leave you for a bit and trust to luck. Water we must have or we'll get no further. And he goes to to look for water. But I just, he just takes such good care of Frodo and it's, he's so tender. I know. Um, Multiple scenes of Sam, like, watching Frodo as he sleeps. Yeah. And, like, making a pillow for him and holding his hand and just, I mean, fucking constantly. Just, God. Um, and then Gollum shows up. Yep. And so, um, they they are going to swap who's sleeping and Sam tells Frodo to keep an eye out because of Gollum being mm-hmm. around. And when he wakes up, Frodo sat propped against the rock behind, but he had fallen asleep. <laughs> yeah. And luckily there is no sign of Gollum. Yeah, um, but they start, there are hints of him here and there, you know, for the next bit. Um, yes, and this is this is where they're I don't have anything else turns. until chapter three. I do, I do have one thing, but um, to get to there, so this is where their luck kind of runs out. They're walking on the road, and a company of orc come up the same road. Luckily, they still look kind of orcish, and so... Um, they're hoping that they'll just be left right at the side of the road, but the driver of this um, group, like, presses them I- into the group and, and threatens them with a whip to, like, to join the group. He thinks they're deserters because of the, the, the like, orc livery that they're wearing. Um, so they get pressed into this line and, and forced to run. And this is a thing that we've seen several times. Um... In Tolkien, we've talked about the way that he describes um, ordeals. Pain. Yeah, pain <laughs> and being in pain. Yeah. Uh, so I did just want to read this really quick. Mm-hmm. It was hard enough for poor Sam, tired as he was, but for Frodo, it was torment and soon a nightmare. He set his teeth and tried to stop his mind from thinking, and he struggled on. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And this chapter ends with there, there being you know driven at a trot for several miles and frodo is fading and fading and eventually with a last despairing effort frodo raised himself on his hand oh nope sorry and, and frodo um the troops run into some other troops and there's commotion um and some you know infighting breaks out and sam realizes they have a chance and pulls frodo down to the ground and they crawl Um, and then he says, come on, Mr. Frodo, one more crawl and then you can lie still. Um, and then is, is that line that you were starting to read? 
Yes, with the last despairing effort, Frodo raised himself on his hands and struggled on for maybe twenty yards. Then he pitched down into a shallow pit that opened unexpectedly before them, and there he lay like a dead thing. And that's the yeah. end of chapter two. <sighs> yeah. Chapter Having three. a bad time. Mount Doom. And this chapter starts with Sam putting his own ragged orc cloak under his boyfriend's head and covered them both with the gray robe of Lorien. Um, because Sam is a good boyfriend who takes very good care of Frodo. Yep. There's a bit shortly after that, a little bit after that, um, where Sam realizes. Well, yeah, Sam is kind of talking through, like, how the the distance left to himself, mm-hmm. um, and realizes that, uh, even if their provisions last until the mountain, or you know, not even the mountain, but like the place in the mountain they need to get to, um, there would be nothing left, and so there would be no return. And he says. So that was the job I felt I had to do when I started, thought Sam, to help Mr. Frodo to the last step and then die with him. Well, if that is the job, then I must do it. But I would dearly like to see Bywater again and, you know, and and all of this stuff. And he says, I can't think somehow that Gandalf would have sent Mr. Frodo on this errand if there hadn't been any hope of his ever coming back at all. Things all went wrong when he went down in Moria. I wish he hadn't. He would have done something. And so for one thing, I always forget that as far as they know, Gandalf is dead. Dead, right. Which is like so heartbreaking every time. Yeah. And then next it says, but even as hope died in Sam, or seemed to die, it was turned to a new strength. Sam's plain hobbit face grew stern, almost grim, as the will hardened in him. And he felt through all his limbs a thrill, as if he was turning into some creature of stone and steel that neither despair nor weariness nor endless barren miles could subdue. Yeah. Yeah, I we've talked about this happening with the other hobbits, like Merry and Pippin as well, but that mm-hmm. tr- trauma tr- transforms or, or changes them or, or temporarily, like, strips them of their hobbitness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Sam. He's so brave. The other thing that this makes me think of is... <laughs> I I don't know if you have this experience, but sometimes when, like, I've been really overwhelmed, I've been procrastinating on things, like, there's stuff that needs to get done, but I just, like, have not been able to make myself do it. But then I'm, like, so miserable because of... Sometimes, like, other stuff going on, but partly because, like, all of the stuff is so overwhelming that I reach this point where, like, I realize that I'm going to be miserable regardless. Like, I cannot anymore, like, distract myself with something pleasant. (laughs) It's not gonna work anymore. And so, like, I might as well just do the the thing since I'm already miserable. And then (laughs) then I go... 
I do this into when this I'm like... sort of like grim, horrible productivity where I'm mad and sad, but I just like do the thing. Oh, extremely. I yeah, I do the thing where like if I know I'm already in a fucking bad mood, it's like okay, well I might as well do the like this thing that I know that I have to do that I don't want to do because like I'm already fucking mad, so I might as well like yeah yeah extremely. Yeah. Um, and it yeah, it just felt like that. Yeah. Um. <sighs> Yeah, so they're now finally cutting... Oh, God, I really, truly hate to talk about directions. I'm, you know what? I'm just not going to do it. It doesn't they, matter. They, they keep moving. I forgot. There's another horse reference. Oh. Yeah, so the desperate journey went on as the ring went south and the banners of the king rode north, which is a nice little pullout. They are, in fact, headed mm. south now towards Mount Doom across the plain. Mm-hmm. Um, for the hobbits each day, each mile was more bitter than the one before as their strengths lessened and the land became more evil. They met no enemies by day, at times by night, as they cowered or drowsed uneasily in some hiding beside the road. They heard cries and the noise of many feet or the swift passing of some cruelly ridden steed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My next bit is a couple paragraphs after that. Uh, now yeah, is the blackness of night returned. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. Frodo sat, his head between his knees, his arms hanging wearily to the ground where his hands lay feebly twitching. Sam watched him till night covered them both and hid them from one another. Fuck! He could no longer find any words to say, and he turned to his own dark thoughts. And, like, f- that fucking line till night covered them both and hid them from one another like that's the thing excuse me mr tolkien i know but that's like that's the whole thing like we have talked about this so much with frodo and sam yeah and like just i mean frodo is having like we've said it before but like frodo is having this experience that he cannot share with sam and and it's taking him more and more like into himself and sam doesn't know how to like you know reach him and yeah like sam Sam can deal with the thought of both of them dying but of them being like hidden disconnected and and disconnected from each other is yeah unbearable yeah 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 so they're 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 like really at the end of it here like they're frodo is physically like really coming apart as is sam from the lack of water um the next thing i have is after the next break um they're they're back into more of like a night and day cycle now it's day and frodo is lying on his back not moving sam stood beside him reluctant to speak and yet knowing that the word now lay with him he must set his boyfriend's will to work for another effort at length Stopping and caressing Frodo's brow, he spoke in his ear. Wake up, beloved. Time for another start. Which, like, yeah, the 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 pain that, like, Sam knows that he has to hurt Frodo in this way and ask more than Frodo can give to do yeah. this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, keep pushing him. Um, yeah. Sam then, like... Frodo says, I can't manage it, Sam. It is such a weight to carry, such a weight. Sam knew before he spoke that it was vain and that such words might do more harm than good, but in his pity he could not keep silent. 
Then let me carry it a bit for you, beloved, he said. You know I would, and gladly, as long as I have any strength. And Frodo has another moment of, like, wild light comes into his eyes, and he says, stand away, don't touch me, it is mine, I say. Um, but then quickly his voice changed, and he says, but you must understand, it is my burden, and no one else can bear it. It is too late now, Sam, dear. You can't help me in that way again. I am almost in its power now. I could not give it up. And if you tried to take it, I should go mad. Every time Frodo makes some proclamation about the power of the ring and his acceptance of like what it means for him, Sam textually immediately after says, I understand. We have seen it like two or three times in these chapters. Like, mm-hmm. that love to, um, you know, to unquestioningly, like, like, yes, I believe, like, I believe you about what you're experiencing. Like, I understand, like, how can I help? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam doesn't argue with Frodo here. He just, he, he then diverts to a different direction and says, like, okay, like, let's get rid of the rest of our stuff and lighten the load that way. Like. I accept yeah. what you're telling me. I'm going to find other ways to help. Well, and that it's, it's, I don't even mean this like metaphorically, like the last time that Frodo kind of was temporarily like ring God and said, like, you can't stand between me and my doom. The thing Sam said again was, I understand. Like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they divest themselves of the last of, um, most of their gear, Frodo throws away the the few remaining like orc things that he had in the sword, and he says. Aside from, I think he keeps on the horrible hairy orc pants. Oh, I assume say because he it doesn't rid say that them. he's pantsless. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. um, that's a great point. But he says, "There, I'll be an orc no more." He cried, "and I'll bear no weapon, fair or foul. Let them take me if they will." Yeah. And, and Sam, then, poor Sam. I know. He takes, yeah, he takes all the things out of his pack. Somehow each of them had become dear to him, if only because he had borne them so far with so much toil. Hardest of all it was to part with his cooking gear. Tears welled in his eyes at the thought of casting it away. Do you remember that bit of rabbit, Mr. Frodo? He said and our place under the warm bank in Captain Faramir's country, the day I saw an oliphant. And God, I mean, this is all incredibly fraught because Frodo is having a time of it. Um, Yeah, I do want to... Yeah, do you want to take Frodo's lines here? Yeah. No, I'm afraid not, Sam, said Frodo. At least I know that such things happened, but I cannot see them. No taste of food, no feel of water. No sound of wind, no memory of tree or grass or flower, no image of moon or star or left to me. I am naked in the dark, Sam, and there is no veil between me and the wheel of fire. I begin to see it even with my waking eyes, and all else fades. Sam went to him and kissed his hand. Then the sooner we're rid of it, the sooner to rest, he said haltingly, finding no better words to say. Talking won't mend nothing, he muttered to himself as he gathered up all the things that they had chosen to cast away. And 
he is not willing to leave them lying open in the wilderness for any uh for any eyes to see and says stinker picked up that orc shirt seemingly and he isn't going to add a sword to it his hands are bad enough when empty and he isn't going to mess with my pans with that he carried (laughs) all the gear away to one of the many gaping fissures that scored the land and threw them in the clatter of his precious pans as they fell down into the dark was like a death knell to his heart. Yeah. He keeps the file of Galadriel and the little box of salt, See, right? It's, it's salt in the book. It's salt. It's salt. No, it's salt in the movie, but it's seeds oh, okay. in the in the book for his it's garden or when he soil. gets back. Is it soil? Oh, maybe is it, it is soil. Dirt? Yeah. It's okay. soil. Yeah. Okay. Um, also, I just love this moment. It says he came back to Frodo and then of his elven rope, he cut a short piece to serve his boyfriend as a girdle and bind the gray cloak close about his waist. And oh I just... shit, maybe he did not keep his pants. No, I think, I think he is wearing the pants. It's just that the, he doesn't have He's any cold. shirt yeah. at, at this point. Um, and, or maybe he's still wearing the, the tunic, but not the leather the... tunic, but not the male the male or the orc cloak. I mean, he's complained Um, about being cold, so it's an effort to preserve warmth. And I think to keep the cloak, you know, around him, but not like in his way. But I just, I want to know what that, what that looks like. It's a bad look. I got, you got to imagine it's a bad look. No one is looking their best. No one is looking their best here. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then, okay. The next thing I want to talk about, this is another one of those Uh great moments of, um, so they turned their faces to the mountain and set out, thinking no more of concealment, bending their weariness and failing wills only to the one task of going on. And then there's kind of like a token comment here. Mm-hmm. It says, in the dimness of its dreary day, few things even in that land of vigilance could have espied them, save from close at hand. Of all the slaves of the Dark Lord, only the Nazgul could have warned him of the peril that crept small but indomitable, into the very heart of his guarded realm. But the Nazgul and their black wings were abroad on another errand. They were gathered far away, shadowing the march of the captains of the West, and thither the thought of the Dark Tower was turned. Just that, yeah. mo- that like, I love these incredibly tasty little dashes of dramatic irony. Give it to me, yes! Mm-hmm. Tasty. Yes. Um... Frodo and Sam make really good progress for like that day for whatever reason. Um, But then it's getting like his energy kind of fails again. Sam gives him the second to last mouthful of water and oh, and then Sam has this dialogue with himself. Yeah. Would you please do the honors? Yes, I will. Um, He could not sleep and he held a debate with himself. Well, come now. We've done better than you hoped, he said sturdily. Began well, anyway. I reckon we crossed half the distance before we stopped. One more day will do it. And then he paused. Don't be a fool, Sam Gamgee, came an answer in his own voice. He won't go another day like that if he moves at all. And you can't go on much longer giving him all the water and most of the food. I can go on a good way, though, and I will. Where to? To the mountain, of course. But what then, Sam Gamgee, what then? When you get there, what are you going to do? He won't be able to do anything for himself. To his dismay, Sam realized that he had not got an answer to this. He had no clear idea at all. 
Frodo had not spoken much to him of his errand, and Sam only knew vaguely that the ring had somehow to be put into the fire. Cracks of doom, he muttered, the old name rising to his mind. Well, if Frodo knows how to find them, I don't. There you are, came the answer. It's all quite useless. He said so himself. You are the fool, going on hoping and toiling. You could have lain down and gone to sleep together days ago if you hadn't been so dogged. But you'll die just the same, or worse. You might just as well lie down now and give it up. You'll never get to the top anyway. I'll get there if I leave everything but my bones behind, said Sam, and I'll carry Mr. Frodo up myself if it breaks my back and heart. So stop arguing. Sam, Sam, if it breaks my back and heart. Fuck. And again, the thing, the thing that tempts him is you could have laid down and gone to sleep together. It's like peace for him and Frodo. Yes. Ugh. Together. God. Together. Yeah, we're, God, we're so close to the end. This is where I start having, I have more kind of frantic outlines and exclamation points <laughs> at this part. Yeah. Um, the next thing I have is uh, the next time Frodo sort of casts himself to the ground. Um, Sam is much clearer minded at this point. Uh, mm -hmm. He knew all the arguments of despair and would not listen to them. His will was set and only death would break it. He felt no longer either desire or need of sleep, but rather of watchfulness. And then at last he groped for Frodo's hand. It was cold and trembling. His boyfriend was shivering. I didn't ought to have left my blanket behind, muttered Sam, and lying down he tried to comfort Frodo with his arms and body. Then sleep took him, and the dim light of the last day of their quest found them side by side. Yeah. Oh, fuck. And then yeah. Frodo gets, like, Sam wakes up Frodo, and Frodo, like, stands up and falls down again and then starts crawling. And Sam, it says, Sam looked at him and wept in his heart but no tears came to his dry and stinging eyes. He's so dehydrated, he can't even cry. I mean, he they, they described previously him not even being able to swallow because his mouth is so dry. Yeah. I said I'd carry him if it broke my back, he muttered, and I will. Come, Mr. Frodo, he cried. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you and it as well. So up you get. Come on, Mr. Frodo, dear. Sam will give you a ride. Just tell him where to go and he'll go. Yeah. And he lifts up Frodo and Frodo is surprisingly light. Like Sam doesn't actually feel the burden of the ring the way Frodo does um, in yeah. that way. And he, and he carries, he carries him. There's Frodo kind of rouses very briefly and says, thank you, Sam. He said in a cracked whisper, how far is there to go? I don't know said Sam, because I don't know where we're going. And at that moment, he looks back and realized that kind of in this, like, fugue state, he's got them, like, halfway up the mountain. Yeah. And then he is looking up, and he actually sees a road going, like, across Um, that if he can, like, get farther up over this, like, steep stretch, he's going to intersect with that road. And that gives him some hope. Yeah. 
and Frodo is kind of moving on his own now. Like the two of them are are crawling up to that. Mm-hmm. And then Frodo, again, being kind of moving under the compulsion of the ring, turns and faces the east. And the like the window of the eye in Barad door like looks directly upon this entrance to the mountain, which is why it is put there. And so Frodo finds himself like under the surveillance of the eye and and is terrorized by it. One moment only Well, yeah, it the eye is not actually turned toward them. Um he they see the flicker of it. Yeah, yeah. Um and but that is like that is it's enough. It's gazing to... north, which is what saves them. But yes, it is still horrible. Yeah, like Frodo is, I think, in the the worst we've seen him in terms of kind of panic, faint, but almost inaudibly, he heard Frodo whispering, "Help me, Sam! Help me, Sam! Hold my hand! I can't stop it." Sam took his love's hands and laid them together palm to palm, and kissed them, and held them gently between his own. Then the thought came suddenly to him. He spotted us. It's all up, or it soon will be. Now, Sam Gamgee, this is the end of ends. And he lifts Frodo again. Oh, God. And continues. And then he comes around a bend he sees a rock fall it's like that moment in phantom of venice where nancy sees a pebble fall and she looks up and then is killed by Brained a falling by pot a... right. <laughs> now uh leaps onto frodo who is on sam's back um and sam falls and frodo and smeagol are fighting but smeagol oh, has well, yes. <laughs> I mean, he's saying he's calling himself Smeagol. Yeah. In those lines. Um, but Gollum has been weakened. Um, and Frodo has some, you know, strength. I do want to read these drawn lines. from protecting the ring. I do yeah. want to read these lines if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so Gollum is tearing at Frodo, trying to get up the chain and the ring. This was probably the only thing that could have roused the dying embers of Frodo's heart and will. An attack, an attempt to wrest his treasure from him by force. He fought back with a sudden fury that amazed Sam and Gollum. Even so, things might have gone far otherwise if Gollum himself had remained unchanged. But whatever dreadful paths, lonely and hungry and waterless, he had trodden, driven by a devouring desire and a terrible fear. They had left grievous marks on him. It reminds me of those, like, this moment of describing what Gollum has been through again and not just what Gollum has done to Frodo and Sam. It reminds me of that passage we loved from earlier about, like, the the river of Smeagol's life like carrying him far beyond the lives of like anyone he ever knew mm-hmm. and loved mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah. i mean th- i i'm glad to have it here um so you get the full like tragic nature of Gollum. like he 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 is someone to be to be pitied and not just an obstacle for them yeah um and frodo then like has sort of flung Gollum off and says to him down you creeping thing and out of my path 
Your time is at an end. You cannot betray me or slay me now. Then suddenly, as before under the eaves of the Emin Muil, Sam saw these two rivals with other vision, a crouching shape, scarcely more than the shadow of a living thing, a creature now wholly ruined and defeated, yet filled with a hideous lust and rage. And before it stood stern, untouchable now by pity, a figure robed in white, but at its breast it held a wheel of fire. Out of the fire there spoke a commanding voice, Be gone, and trouble me no more. If you touch me ever again, you shall be cast yourself into the fire of doom. Which is like, fuck, like Frodo. Yeah, what Like, you... Frodo fucking, like, curses Gollum right there, well, and it that's comes what... true. Like... That's what I was gonna ask about. It's like, does this feel... Is this a moment of prophecy? Like, is this, like... Is it, is, is it prescriptive or descriptive? Yeah, yeah. Like, is Frodo actually cursing Gollum here? Or is this a moment of being tied to the power of the ring and being able to glimpse some part of the future? I don't know. Um, I feel I, like it's probably more sort of the prophecy situation. I mean, here's the thing. The whole time, like, increasingly, but especially in all of Frodo's interactions with Gollum as he's had the ring he he knows things that he shouldn't know right mm -hmm. like he has this eerie like understanding of the ring that he, no one has explained this shit to him right he just knows um and this feels like that but it kind of feels like it it kind of feels like it also goes further to being because because previously he made Gollum like swear on the ring and said the ring would hold him to it even even right. unto his own death and so i feel like this is just frodo saying based on that this is what's true yeah like you swore on the ring and so that's what will happen if you continue trying to break that promise essentially yeah um, i don't know if there's an actual textual answer i think the the, the yeah. answer to me is like the interesting thing about prophecy is always like the ambiguity of like mm -hmm. uh, of is it escapable or not like how much do your own actions affect it and that is satisfying here but it is it was a really striking moment to me of like yeah. oh what exactly is happening here yeah and then Sam steps forward brandishing his sword because he's like Frodo's power kind of leaves for a second. Um, yeah, and and it's like, go, like, I'll deal with him, you go. Frodo looked at him as if at one now far away. Yes, I must go on, he said. Farewell, Sam. This is the end at last. On Mount Doom, Doom shall fall. Farewell. He turned and went on, walking slowly but erect up the climbing path, and Sam turns back to Gollum with his sword drawn, ready to kill him, finally, and Gollum, like, grovels, and now Sam, actually, you know, not being held back by Frodo, has the opportunity to make the choice, and he is 
sort of moved by. We yeah, we have to pity. read this passage too. It's good if that's okay. Yeah. Um. Do you want Sam's hand wavered? Yes, please. Sam's hand wavered. His mind was hot with wrath and the memory of evil. It would be just to slay this treacherous, murderous creature, just and many times deserved. And also it seemed the only safe thing to do. But deep in his heart, there was something that restrained him. He could not strike this thing lying in the dust, forlorn, ruinous, utterly wretched. He himself, though only for a little while, had borne the ring. And now dimly he guessed the agony of Gollum's shriveled mind and body, enslaved to that ring, unable to find peace or relief ever in life again. But Sam had no words to express what he felt. "'Oh, curse you, you stinking thing!' he said. "'Go away! Be off! I don't trust you, not as far as I could kick you, but be off, or I shall hurt you, yes, with nasty, cruel steel!' Which is Gollum's own words for from a minute ago. And Sam <sighs> turns and continues, um, and we, the readers, see that after Gollum like goes down the path a little ways, he turns around and comes creeping after Sam and Frodo. This moment is great. It's so it is so so satisfying. It's such a satisfying like conclusion to this arc of like the relationship between Gollum and Frodo and Sam of like the tension between Sam and Frodo coming from Frodo and Gollum both being privy to this thing that Sam can't understand it and now here having borne the ring and being able to understand it like it pays off so well. Like it's it's just really good. Yeah. I yeah. also love, um, there was that moment a few chapters ago where, I don't know if it was Pippin or Mary, but, like, there's a conversation where, like, one of the hobbits says something very sort of, or tr communicates something very, like, from the heart, but he kind of says, like, look, hobbits don't, like, say serious things. It, like, it's, we it's say Mary serious things by... In yeah. the House of Healing. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of mirrored here by Sam, like having this understanding of Gollum in this moment and like pity, but not having words to express what he feels. And so yeah. it comes out as like, oh, curse you, you stinking thing. But yeah. I don't know. It just, I mean, people have all kinds of complex feelings and they do not always come out in these like clearly articulated ways. Right. Um, and I, yeah. and I like that moment. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a good comparison. Cause yeah, we, that was literally in the last book section that we read. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden, like we, there's been so much buildup and then all of a sudden, like we're here and it happens like in a page and a half. Yeah. Yeah. He gets, to sort of the the door, the gaping mouth of the the door of Samathnar, um, and calls for Frodo. He can't really see anything, and and he goes forward, and then there's like a flash of red because like lava splashes, and he can actually see Frodo then, um, and calls out to him. And then Frodo stirred and spoke with a clear voice. 
indeed with a voice clearer and more powerful than Sam had ever heard him use, and it rose above the throb and turmoil of Mount Doom, ringing in the roof and walls. I have come, he said, but I do not choose now to do what I came to do. I will not do this deed. The ring is mine. And suddenly, as he set it on his finger, he vanished from Sam's sight. Sam gasped, but he had no chance to cry out, for at that moment many things happened. <laughs> two things happened. <laughs> the <laughs> old AW, two things happen at once. Yeah. Gollum cannonballs into Sam, and Sam gets kind of flung to the side. And as he raises his head again, he sees... Well, no, sorry. That's skipping ahead. So Sam gets bowled over. And then mm -hmm. as Frodo puts on the ring, um, Sauron is finally aware of what's happening. Yeah. And the magnitude of his own folly was revealed to him in a blinding flash and all the devices of his enemies were at last laid bare. Uh, then his wrath blazed in a consuming flame, but his fear rose like a vast black smoke to choke him, for he knew his deadly peril, the thread upon which his doom now hung. It's really yeah. good. Um, the Nazgul, like, race for Mount Doom. Yeah. Sam gets up. He, like, his head is bleeding, um, and he's dazed, and he gropes forward and sees a strange and terrible thing, which is Gollum fighting with an unseen foe, and... And suddenly Sam saw Gollum's long hands draw upwards to his mouth, his white fangs gleamed, and then snapped as they bit. Frodo gave a cry, and there he was, fallen upon his knees at the chasm's edge. But Gollum, dancing like a mad thing, held aloft the ring, a finger still thrust within its circle. It shone now as if verily it was wrought of living fire. And Gollum is crying out, you know, my precious, etc., and with that, even as his eyes were lifted up to gloat on his prize, he stepped too far, toppled, wavered for a moment on the brink, and then with a shriek he fell. Out of the depths came his last wail, precious, and he was gone. Sam runs to Frodo and picks him up. And carries him out the door. He's just like, he's on it. Because also then, like, there's a roar, like fires start going nuts. It's all, it's all a lot. Yeah. Yep. Um, and can we read like the last, last bit? Well, yeah. this is the end to the end. <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, yeah, go ahead. This is the end, Sam Gamgee, said a voice by his side. And there was Frodo, pale and worn, and yet himself again. And in his eyes there was peace now, neither strain of will, nor madness, nor any fear. His burden was taken away. There was his dear beloved of the sweet days in the Shire. Beloved, cried Sam, and fell upon his knees. In all that ruin of the world, for the moment, he felt only joy, great joy. The burden was gone. His love had been saved. He was himself again. He was free. And then Sam caught sight of the maimed and bleeding hand. Your poor hand, he said, and I have nothing to bind it with or comfort it. 
I would have spared him a whole hand of mine, rather. But he's gone now, beyond recall. Gone forever. Yes, said Frodo. But do you remember Gandalf's words? Even Gollum may have something yet to do. But for him, Sam, I could not have destroyed the ring. The quest would have been in vain, even at the bitter end. So let us forgive him. The quest is achieved, and now all is over. I am glad you are here with me, here at the end of all things, Sam. That's... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, it does. It just it happens. I mean, this is the thing. This is the whole thing. I feel like there's such a long, horrible buildup to it, and then it just happens and is gone so, like, dizzyingly fast. Yeah. Oh. Uh, what were your favorite horses today, Joey? Um, Sam's love and undying devotion for Frodo. Yeah, I liked when Sam was a horse for Frodo by yeah. carrying him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think arguably because he did a little finger munch, Gollum could be construed as a horse here. Mm. No. <laughs> Gollum, dancing like a mad thing, held aloft the ring, a carrot still thrust within its circle. <laughs> uh, wow. I can't believe it. Can't believe we finished the book. That's it. We're done. Thanks for coming. Um, We do have a little more left to do, though, today. We have a poem to write. We do. Um, the poem that, well, the song that Sam just, like, it came to him. He just made it up on the spot. Uh, yes. It is called Journey's End. Yeah. How do you want to read this initially? Um, you can do the second stanza and I'll do the first. Great. In western lands beneath the sun, the flowers may rise in spring. The trees may bud, the waters run, the merry finches sing. Or there may be tis cladless night, and swaying beeches bare, the elven stars as jewels white amid their branching hair. Though here at journey's end I lie, in darkness buried deep, beyond all towers strong and high, beyond all mountains steep, above all shadows rides the sun, and stars forever dwell. I will not say the day is done, nor bid the stars farewell. This is a sad one, Joe. It is. It's sad, but there is, like, there's a little hope, right? Like, I, I mean... I, yeah, oh, definitely. My interpretation it... of this is, like, in Western lands, like, all that stuff is going on. Over here, like, I lie in darkness buried deep. But beyond all this, like... The sun is still up there and the stars are still up there. And so I will not say the day is done nor, you know, say goodbye um, because they're still up there. Yeah. Well, there's that moment, too, um, when Sam is like having his moment of realization about that they're not coming back. And he mm -hmm. says earlier, like the song he sang was a song of defiance. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. How would we like to make this about a horse? I do not know. <laughs> um, 
Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, neither of us have horses in our lives right now. Correct. Right? I mean, other than, of course, my many online friends, Shadowfax and Brago and Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. And right. Sometimes the yeah, horses well, look at like, the local right, society like in, and... <laughs> like in the song, horses are still out there, right? They exist. <gasps> yeah. We do not have access to them right now. But we are not ready to say goodbye to horses. That's we are right. not giving up on our horse dreams. They're still yeah. out there. They're still out there. That's my pitch. Okay. <laughs> yes. Does that... <laughs> no, this is perfect. Um, question. Do you want to do two whole stanzas? No. I want to just do... Essentially the second one. I mean, you know, I want the end of the second one and we can kind of... Steal bits if we need to. Take, yes. Although we do have, um, we have, you know, A, B, A, B, C, D, C, D. Yes. Yeah. But, I mean, we're going to end up, our rhymes are mostly going to be different anyways. Right. Um, so we can... <sighs> um, okay. <sighs> I do think... We want the first two lines to be about, about our horselessness. Well, about either our our past horses. You know, I mean, because it starts it starts with like you know, in Western lands beneath the sun, the flowers may rise in spring, right? So I'm thinking like the first two lines are like some people are out there living their horse girl dreams, right? Like some people have access to horses. Mm -hmm. Some people are riding horses. Someone's probably... To... I bet you someone's probably riding a horse right now, Joe. Someone. Shit. Someone somewhere. It's five o'clock somewhere, but it's a horse <laughs> is being ridden somewhere. <laughs> Would a horse wear an official Margaritaville branded Hawaiian shirt like this or like this? <laughs> um, so... Someone is riding a horse somewhere. The next two lines are, we are deprived of horses. The, you know, third couplet is, but they are still out there. Like horses ex exist eternally. And then the last two lines are, so we are not going to say goodbye and give up our horse dreams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right? Okay. Yes. Um... That's that's so we're it. We outlined a poem. That's enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> we can submit the outline and ask for partial credit, right? Uh, um, out there somewhere at a five horse, p.m. A horse girl lives. Um. Um. Riding every day. Okay. Yep. First two lines done. Okay. Um, we now have gives and day as the two words we have to rhyme with in the next day is two lines. easy. Lives. Yeah. Um. Out there somewhere a horse girl lives writing every day. Ta oh, okay. Something about like touching soft noses and smelling. Hay. I want the thing that rhymes with day to be hay, like getting to smell hay every day. Uh-huh. Um, what rhymes with lives and is a positive about the horse experience? Well, no, this isn't, sorry, 
writing every day is the second line. Yes. Yes? So the third and fourth lines are about our horse deprivation. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Um, I see. I lost track of the outline. Yeah, it's okay. Um, Like, we might be able to make the last couplet be both, like, horses are still out there, so we're not going to say goodbye, um, which gives us a little more room to work on the front end, but I don't know if we're going to be able to do that. Oh, that's fine. so I want to keep things concise up front. Yeah, we can also, Um, for, we can absolutely use that in the fourth line to communicate our horse deprivation and it's instead of getting to smell hay it's no smell of new hay yes yes definitely. okay so now we need the midline that rhymes with lives yes Shifts. Uh, gives oh horses are so giving <laughs> can't touch a horse what gives <laughs> <laughs> somewhere a horse girl lives riding every day but we can't touch a horse what gives no smell of new hay um no smell of horse or hay it just needs another uh, no smell no smell of horse or hay that's we're saying horse a lot but that's fine okay so or, Out there somewhere a horse girl lives writing every day. Well, we can't touch a horse. What gives? No smell of horse or hay. No, I like it. Okay. Um, okay, and now a new rhyme scheme. What gives? What gives? This fourth line could also be deprived of smell of hay. Um, or deprived from smell of hay. But... No, I like including the smell of horse in there, even though we're saying horse a lot. Okay. Um, Okay. So now, but... There are horses out there. We can look at pictures of horses. But somewhere... We've already used somewhere. Okay. Um, But over fields... Oh, wait. Okay. Okay. But in our hearts, a horse runs still. Okay. Um, galloping through our dreams. Uh, I think let's try writing the last two lines because I, I'm not very attached to dreams if okay. it's hard to rhyme with, but let's see. But something along those lines. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so we have to write the first line with still. Yes, hold on, I'm looking up rhymes for that. Phil, like had our fill of horses. Until could be yeah. good. Until will hill I'll die on this hill of horse loving. Um <laughs> I think that's those are plenty of options. Those are those are okay. will or until feels like they will get us there. So let's Okay, okay, okay. We could the oh, last couple of um what mm-hmm. if it's like so nothing can bend my horse loving will? Okay, okay. I was going to say the it could be like something something until um until the day I 
the day I ride, you know, whatever, ride again, but that's kind of a, I don't like, riding with again isn't great. Ascend. Well, Defend. uh, sorry, I've lost where you are. I, I, I'm saying we, we could rhyme this. Are you talking this. about re- replacing the third and fourth lines? No, no, the second to last line, the thing that rhymes with still, ends with until, and then the very last line would be the day I ride again. Okay, and then we rewrite Galloping Through Our Dreams to rhyme with that. Right. And it, yeah, and it doesn't need to be again there, but Mm -hmm. it feels natural to me too, because we already have a horse run still, rhyme with until, and and then have that, um, you know, break down Mm -hmm. to the next rhyme, the day I ride again or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, but in our hearts, a horse runs still. Things that rhyme with again could be then, when. Yeah. Um, it doesn't need to be again, too. There, I think there's something else could probably go there, although that feels like the, that's where that line wants to go to me. Sorry, I'm blanking. Um, uh, we can't touch a horse. What gives? Okay, I'm workshopping something. Hold okay, on. me too. Great. We'll bring each other some options. Okay, I have something. Okay, uh, give it to me. Okay, what, can you tell me again what your second to last line, I know it ends in until, but did you no, have? No, that's it. Nope. Okay. Okay, great. So this is just the second stanza. But in our hearts, a horse runs still, hooves like beating drums. So I will dream of them until our horse reunion comes. Oh, wow. That's perfect. I can tell that you've been thinking about spirit recently. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that. Joey, you fucking you, you took some time away and you came back swinging. OK, um, do you want to post that in the chat? Yes. I'm thrilled about that. OK. Um, can we swap every other, every two lines? Yes. Yeah. Do you want to start or end? I am ambivalent. Okay. I'll start because I feel like you'll give a good what gives reading. Thank you. Oh my God. (sighs) Out there somewhere, a horse girl lives riding every day. While we can't touch a horse, what gives? No smell of horse or hay. But in our hearts, a horse runs still, hooves like beating drums. So I will dream of them until our horse reunion comes. Wow. Good job. Oh, that is our... Nice work. Yeah, we, you know, we got there. And we only sullied a a moment a little bit, you know? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. So that is our third vow. Yeah, our fourth vow uh, is, you know, to answer the call of Gondor when the beacon is lit. I think that there's no new beacon lighting. I think uh, back when we tweeted about it, I don't know, the second to last time, there were several questions and there are a couple that we have not, like, answered in this section, but they have been answered in other episode discussions one about the creature that the mouth of Sauron rides, which we discussed in the last, in whatever book section book that episode, was. Yes. Um, and one about like, if the Nazgul's horses are evil. And we've discussed that at various times through the episodes as we've come to new information. So 
that's much that's like Frodo it. and Sam running out of food and water in their desperate march. We are out of question Lit supplies beacons. for our journey to yes. ultimate horse knowledge. The that's the journey to ultimate horse knowledge. That's <laughs> what lies at the end of our quest. <laughs> I've crunched Do you feel all it's the awful? lit beacons we had and... <laughs> you ate them all and uh, couldn't even swallow properly because your mouth was so dry. <laughs> Do you feel, capital H, capital K, horse knowledge, wielding some dark compulsion over you as we get closer and closer? Yeah, I would say so. Okay, I wouldn't worry about that. We'll see you guys yeah, next time. Probably everything will be fine. It's mine! Thank you for listening. The music you heard at the beginning was Horse by Horse, arranged and performed by Caitlin and Joey. That's us. You can listen to it again at soundcloud.com slash shadowfactspod. The cover art was made by Annie Johnston Click at Dancy Naru on Twitter. I'm Caitlin, my pronouns are they, them, and you can follow me at Chalo and Behold on Twitter. You can follow the show at ShadowFactsPod and email your horse-related Lord of the Rings questions to ShadowFactsPod at gmail.com. Joining me on this journey there and back again is... Joey. My pronouns are they, he, and you can follow me on Twitter at JoeyThePrince. If you want to read and watch along, check the episode description for the segment we'll cover next time. This has been ShadowFacts. One horse to rule them all! Ha 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 ha!